You're listening to the NFL on TuneIn. It's No Huddle with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Let's continue on the path to the draft with a great friend of the program, John Harris from the Texans Radio Network, who also devotes a lot of time to focusing on the draft. John, always great to have you on the show. Let's start under center. Of all the marquee quarterbacks, which one do you like the most? Well, I like Sam Darnold uh, right at the top. I think he's got every asset you're looking for in a quarterback. I, you know, when I first saw him a couple years ago, Brian, I was really worried about him getting the ball out of his hands fast enough. He's got kind of a long wind-up motion, but he shortened that up a little bit in 2017. And I just I love everything about his cool, his calm. But I know a lot of people will say, um, you know, Lamar Jackson should be a wide receiver, but I like Lamar Jackson in my top three. I go Sam Darnold. And then I go Baker Mayfield, and I go Lamar Jackson, number three. I just feel like I want the ball in the hands of the most dangerous player on the field. And to me, that's Lamar Jackson. He is not a polished product throwing the football. He's got some mechanical issues I think he's got to fix or work on. But when the ball's in his hands, boy, he's scary. But that's the one thing I think about all these guys, the, the four or five guys that we consider for the first round. They've all got an opportunity to make plays out of the pocket, off schedule. And that, to me, is really where the NFL is, is going. You look at Dak Prescott, Sean Watson, Carson Wentz, Russell Wilson. They're, they're guys that can improvise and can make plays when things break down. And I think that's where the NFL is going to end up going in due time. And I think you can see it with the way that things ran for the off Eagles. They took the West Coast offense, merged it with a lot of RPO stuff they were doing, and came up with the Philadelphia Eagles offense that ended up being pretty lethal, no matter whether it was Carson Wentz or Nick Foles under center. So, to me, I go Darnold and then Baker, and then I go Lamar Jackson, number three. Deshaun Watson, who's there in Texas, I, I guarantee you most may have thought it wouldn't work out as good as it did because they figured they'd probably have to give him a year to, to figure out the NFL way of playing a game, but he shocked the world pretty much. And when you see players that are coming into the National Football League where more GMs are starting to buy into it because they're finding out that these are truly the players – in the draft uh, are, are the ones that you really have to look at because that's the direction of the National Football League. Or you think that the GMs are going to eventually grow into understanding that in order to be successful in the game today, Andrew Luck, Aaron Rodgers, uh, old Ben Roethlisberger, now Deshaun Watson, in order to win, you're going to have to have a guy that's mobile and sometimes a little bit more mobile than you like. Yeah, absolutely, Cordell. I, I, there's no question. I think that's where the league is going in large part because – that's what's coming from college football. You're not seeing 6'4", 230-pound gunslingers just absolutely stand in the pocket and fire it all over the place. You're not finding those guys. Those guys are playing a different position or a different sport altogether. The colleges are looking at guys that can make plays, and I think it's starting to filter up a little bit from the high school ranks to the college ranks and now and up into the NFL because that's what the NFL is getting. They're getting guys like Deshaun Watson. And still, even at that point, Cordell, Michelle was the third quarterback taken last year uh, after Mitchell Trubisky and Patrick Mahomes. That was a big Mahomes guy. I like Patrick Mahomes. I saw him a couple times live and loved him. So I, I would have been all right with Mahomes or Watson. But Watson was the third one in that list, and the Texans had to trade up to go get him. So hopefully Deshaun has taught some of these GMs, and you know maybe uh, you didn't see enough of Patrick Mahomes to really feel that way, but hopefully Deshaun's taught some of these GMs a lesson that you got to go outside the box a little bit because, Cordell, I can, I can tell you, being in Houston, there were a lot of media here in Houston that said, this isn't going to work. Deshaun Watson isn't going to be a Bill O'Brien-type quarterback. And I kept saying to him, look, you know what's a Bill O'Brien-type quarterback? A guy who wins. doesn't matter how it's done. 
He just wants to win. And once he realized what he had with Deshaun, he knew he had to change things. And and so that that buy-in came along. And all of a sudden, it was like it tapped into Bill O'Brien's creativity as well. And I think that was a really good thing. And here's the thing. With only six games, six and a half games of seeing Deshaun, there's a lot of stuff that Bill O'Brien left on the cutting room floor that they'll be able to break out in 2018. But, Cordell, you hit on something that's really important. I think you do have to have general managers and decision makers, head coaches, that can look past what the tradition was, what it used to be, and say, okay, this is what it used to be, but this guy right here is what the future of the league is going to be. Talking and this is why John we need to right now. Radio Network. John, I was one of those pundits who pointed out when we were talking about Deshaun Watson last year, 30 interceptions, so I wondered about ball security in the transition to the NFL. Obviously, I was dead wrong. So I don't want to be too hung up on one metric, but anytime we're talking about Josh Allen from Wyoming, I can't get past the fact that he had less than a 60% completion percentage. Can you think of a couple instances of quarterbacks who got more accurate when they made the move from college to the pros? That's that's an interesting question. I say it all the time. You know, if a guy's struggling in college – why do we think all of a sudden he's going to turn into a superstar player? And I'm not just talking quarterback. I'm talking every position. How do you know that a guy that was, well, he's going to turn it because he's a great athlete. I don't, I haven't seen that often, but what I will say about Josh Allen is that the tools are all there in the toolbox. He just doesn't know how to use all of them. And that's, that's, that's a, I think that's a, I don't want to say red flag, but it's something that I don't know how as a, a personnel guy, you go, man, I love everything about him, but oh my goodness, what do I, what am I going to get from week to week? So I, Josh Allen scares me to death. But watching him at the Senior Bowl, the one thing I will say at the Senior Bowl that did impress me about Josh Allen was that he got better every day. And I could see at the beginning of the week he really struggled. He's learning the offense. The next day, and he was, I mean, he could hit the broadside of a barn the first day. Second day, still some struggles, but you started seeing some of those throws. Third day, I saw him make some throws that I, I, I talked to a couple of scouts that were standing next to me, and I said, I go to 16 games plus a year in the NFL. I have not seen an NFL quarterback with that arm strength that could make that throw right there. That's why Josh Allen is going to be intriguing. And some team is going to go all in on Josh Allen. They better have a good backup plan to help him out the first couple of years because if it's Josh Allen and Josh Allen alone, it could be pretty tough because he hasn't played at level of competition, and the tools are just going to be all over the toolbox, and that's going to end up getting some head coach and maybe a general manager fired. What's crazy is what you're saying right there, that Brian and I was talking yesterday about Brian Billick and Kyle Bowler there in Cal and saying how the talent around Kyle wasn't as good uh, and then probably caused Kyle Bowler to actually struggle just a little bit, and he thought when he got him into Baltimore – that it would give him a chance to flourish because they had a great defense. He's coming in with this offensive philosophy. Well, you're not going to have that problem with uh, a Lamar Jackson. You may have that problem, let's just say, with a Josh Allen. But is it getting to the point where at the quarterback position, if you have too much talent, you may be your own worst enemy? Well, that's a good way of putting it, Cordell. I haven't thought about it like that. I don't know if that's, if that's too big a problem, but I think with Josh Allen, to me, is – is if he, if he were more accurate, especially in the intermediate areas, because there's some throws that are just freaky. I saw him make a throw against, I think it was Boise State in 16, where he was running to the right. He's getting chased by about two or three guys, and he's nearly falling out of bounds, and he threw on 60 yards on a rope. 
for a touchdown. And I remember going back going, this is, this is wild, but it's just not harnessed yet. And, you know, in, in a sport like baseball, you know, you could take a guy like that and you could make him a relief. You can make him a reliever. You know, you can take a Rawls Chapman and you can put him in the bullpen and it works because he can go get three outs or six outs or whatever you need. You can't really do that with a quarterback. You can't really hide him for the first three quarters and say, okay, you're going to go close the game. I always would I want my quarterback to have some talent, but I want, it, I want to be able to make sure that it's harnessed in a way that it's going it's to accentuate what I have. Now, you bring up a great case in Kyle Bowler. What's going to end up happening is the same thing. Some team is going to rationalize, look, Josh Allen didn't have any receivers. His offensive line was all gone. That's why maybe he didn't have as good a year in 17 as he did in 16. And some team is going to rationalize it that way, and then they're going to buy in. And look, it, it, it could happen for Josh Allen. I think he's got tools. Like I said, his arm strength is unbelievable. But can you get it harnessed in enough time as a GM and head coach? That's the thing. We don't have five-year plans anymore. We have two years, and that's it. So if Josh Allen isn't going to prove it in two years, you got to move on, but you might not have that. You might not be afforded that luxury if Josh Allen is your guy, and you just say, "Here you go, son. Go let it happen." Oh, you're going to be in a lot of trouble from that perspective, and I think that's going to end up being what GMs and coaches look at, which could force Josh Allen at some point to fall there in a draft. A team that could draft him might be one that says, "Oh, hey, by the way, I'm going to be here for a while." The team that's just really rebuilding from the bottom up. That could be a team that drafts, drafts Josh Allen because they can live with a few hiccups here or there, and then they'll, they'll pay the price and they get a guy in the third, fourth year that they maybe can live with. But that there aren't many of those in the NFL anymore. Not like there used to be you know, 20, 25 years ago with the five-year plan ready to build from there. John Harris, Texans Radio Network, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. John History tells us running backs rarely go with a number one overall pick, but Cleveland's got a glaring need at a variety of positions. Could you argue that Saquon Barkley is the best player in this draft? I think you can make that argument, yes. On top of my board, it's Quinn Nelson from Notre Dame. But Barkley, I think I have number three. I don't think there's any question. Here's the thing about running backs, and I think that when you say, well, you don't draft the running back in the first round, you don't draft the running back. But if it's a player that can impact both the running game and the receiving game, then why, why wouldn't you? If you get, if you get 1,200, 1,300 yards on a running back, you know, by the way, you get 65, 70 catches. I mean, would you not want to add that guy to your roster that can start turning things around and make things easier for your quarterback? Absolutely. So I think, I think Saquon Barkley goes top five. Uh, I think Cleveland would be a tremendous spot. In fact, the mock draft that I ended up doing, I had Barkley. I think I had Barkley and Darnold going to, uh, to going to the Browns, and I, I think it's been done before. We saw it in Dallas with Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. You can play rookie rookie back there, but in, in, in Cleveland, you've got an offensive line. Now we don't know what Joe Thomas is going to do, but you've got a pretty decent offensive line there. Don't know receiver wise. They got to get some players there. But if you had a Saquon Barkley to that offense, it takes pressure off so many different people on that offense, and it can actually allow whoever the quarterback's going to be to flourish. So I believe with Saquon Barkley, because of how much he can impact the passing game, he's more than just a running back. The same way Ezekiel Elliott was, because he not only could, could run and catch, he's a whale of a pass blocker. So he's a guy you leave on the field for three downs for all four quarters. And I think that's what Saquon Barkley can do as well. 
In the National Football League, it's rare that you have a, a true definition of a player's coach relationship. And whether it be because you played football, whether it's in college, uh, and you were really, really good to transcending that into being like a Mike Tomlin and even a Mike Vrabel for that, for that matter. And he being a part of that defense for the year that he was, it looked like it was a phenomenal player-coach relationship after going to the Greenbrier and seeing those guys react. Now that he's gone to, uh, to the Tennessee Titans, how much will be lost on the defensive side of the football? Well, the good thing, Cordell, is that Rack's coming back. And I say coming back. He didn't, he didn't leave. He just stepped out of that position. So the terminology, uh, a lot of things they were doing will stay the same. They'll probably try and tweak it if they can have all three of their big rushers, Merciless, Watt, and Clowney. But I think the one thing that's lost in this is Mike Vrabel was a heck of a teacher. And you didn't see it as much as a coordinator, but as a position coach, I would watch him work with linebackers. And I'm telling you, Woody Merciless became a player – had the talent, but Mike Vrabel got that got the full production out of him. He got it out of Jadeveon Clowney as well. You saw those guys turn into not only competent players, but guys that can be full-on dominant at times, in large part because of the work that Mike Vrabel did with them. And I saw him coach him. They, they, it was not like, oh, come on, Whitney. No, no. It was, uh, it was aggressive counseling. I'll put it that way. Mike Vrabel, they might label him a player's coach, because he was a player, he understands what players go through, but he's not going there with kid gloves. I know that. And I think that aspect within the Texans organization, that will be missed. There's no doubt about that. And that's what Tennessee is going to get. But having Romeo Cornell here in Houston, that's going to ease that transition for that defense to say, okay, we just get right back up on the bike with Rack, and we'll be good to go from here. John, great information as always. Thanks so much for joining us again on the NFL on TuneIn. Appreciate it, guys. See you. You've been listening to No Huddle with Brian Weber and former Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart live on the NFL on Tune. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The National Football League is on. Tune in.